This is Unapologetics, episode seven. I'm John Hirschauer, alongside my co-host, Stephanie Nicholas. Uh, we've got an interesting night for you, or I suppose morning, depending on when you're listening to this. We're going to be releasing this uh, on, on time this week. Well, on time. Yes. So, Steph, we're going to be talking about, in two different contexts, we're going to be talking about feminism as, you know, as was sort of inspired by your first uh, article. It's your first article, correct? Correct? For Catholic Family News? Yes, it is. Very excited. Why don't you give us the, the summary of, of your piece and then we'll go from there. Sure. So this article um, came out in the print edition this month of Catholic Family News, but it was also online. So we'll put it in the description if you'd like to read it. It's um, a bit of a long essay, longer than I usually get to write. So it's really cool. Um, and it's called Challenging Feminism at Its Roots, A Call to Arms from a Radical Catholic. And basically what I was trying to do was to break down the some of the faulty presuppositions we have when arguing with feminists. Um, primarily my criticism of the the way that the term radical has kind of been um, has kind of has kind of changed, especially over the past century or so, to the point where now it's kind of synonymous with extremist, when that really isn't what the word originally meant. And just about how the the use of language has is so often used as a weapon for the left to basically recreate reality. And from that, I think, I, I see a lot of this, this tendency, um, especially among pro-lifers and conservatives, right, to kind of, to kind of um, you know, play on the left's field when it comes especially to feminism. They say, oh, well, I'm a real feminist because I support, uh, I support motherhood. I support female unborn children, right? I'm a true feminist because I actually believe that women actually have choices, you know, things of that sort. And I find that to be, you know, to use the word I hate, very problematic because it kind of presupposes that feminism at its radical level, radical actually meaning, you know, the root level of what feminism is, is actually toxic and and just trying to, and I, I couldn't go too far into why that's the case. Maybe we can talk about it a bit more tonight, but, you know, the, the people who can see the obvious evils as fem of feminism today, um, seeing them as sort of excesses, right? That this idea that it's somehow a extremist position within feminism to support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy or even to support infanticide or any of these other, you know, crazy policies that we, we all can see are evil. Well, we're completely missing the fact that these things are not actually an excess of feminism. They are simply feminism taken to its logical conclusion. So. No, that's right. And that's such, it's such a great point because so, so often uh, in the church, um, and that's sort of how we want to segment the show today. We want to talk about the way that feminism has impacted um, particularly post-conciliar uh, Catholic, uh, you know, uh, church politics, as well as, as well as even the liturgy and things. Theology. Theology, et cetera. Uh, but also, of course, how it applies to secular politics. So I think the point you make is, is, is very important in that I don't think at root you can be a feminist and a Catholic. You can't. Shots fired. You can be either one or the other. No, I'm quite serious about that. No, me too. Because the, so, so the, I can already hear the response is that, oh, well, feminism as defined by the dictionary is, you know, the movement for the equality of the sexes, right? But let's, let's pull that apart a little bit. When they mean equality, there are a couple different layers to what equality means, right? If you're talking about a sort of juridical equality where people are treated as equals before the law, that's, that's one thing. But that's not, that's not totally what the feminist is talking about. It's much more than that. It's much more than a sort of 
advocacy for a blind, um, a blind treatment by the law, which, by the way, parentheses, might not even necessarily be be advantageous or be what we as Catholics should advocate for. An example that comes to mind right away are, are things like trying to change maternity leave to parental leave. Th- that implicitly gives up the premise that women have a unique role in the rearing of children, right? As soon as it's things like that. So mm-hmm. even, even the first step, which seems benign about just equality before the law or in a juridical context, um, in as much as that seems benign, there are also clear factors that that drive these decisions that aren't so benign and, and betray much more from from a Catholic's perspective nefarious uh, things that arise from 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 that ideology. But then even going beyond just that very shallow conception of justice or, or uh, equality rather, which no modern feminist really holds. I mean, they they hold it in the abstract, but that's only the way that they get their foot in the door. I mean, the ultimate feminist the ultimate feminist end, I think, and if you really pinned a feminist down on this and had a debate with them and got them to admit what they really think, I think they would tell you proudly that they want to create an androgynous society. Feminism, I've always felt feminism is improperly understood as a gendered philosophy. It's not. It actually wants to abolish all gender. And that's Hierarchy. The, the point I'm trying to make is feminism is one of the new... Um, deconstructionist philosophies okay it's a, it's a philosophy based on deconstructionism and what is deconstructionism but taking apart the tradition not just the excesses of the tradition but the very tradition itself and trying to create a tabula rosa a blank slate upon which they can build their androgynous society that's what they want they don't want femininity traditionally understood they don't want that at all they don't they want utter confusion between male and female because they believe that whatever um, biological differences that we can observe between male and female are utterly irrelevant and are only created by some scheming group of patriarchs out in the Barbados who are apparently dictating to all people around the world how they ought to rear their children, which is making girls attracted, young girls attracted to dolls and young boys attracted to trucks. When really, if the feminists were in charge and the matriarchy, this would never happen. So it's, it's a fundamental denial of the creation, of God's creation as such, of God's creation of, of male and female, he made them, right? Of, of creating Eve from the rib of Adam. These are very central tenets to Catholic theology. And, and one can either be a feminist or a Catholic, and, but you can, you can, of course, be for fem, you know, women's equality, whatever that means. I mean, in a certain sense, you can, of course, be for that. And we, should, we all should. Or some rights that they would fight for, right? You know, it's okay. Of course, you could be against domestic violence or something. Of course, right. You know? Right. That's not the point. The point is, if you're on board with the fundamental androgynous project of feminism, and I'm, I'm going to get into some quotes from, from the leaders, the leading feminist intellectuals in a moment, um, that really show that this is at root. This is not an excess of third wave feminism. This is something that goes back to the core of what feminism is and what it's all about and what it's always been about. Yeah, absolutely. And I also just, just a quick note on your dictionary point as well. You know, I mentioned this in the article, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it works both ways because, you know, when you, when you examine their points, it completely falls apart, right? Because their idea of equality as, as usual with this, this abusive language that is not designed to, um, you know, to, to speak what the truth is, but to, you know, serve ideological expedience. 
Um, but if you look at the, the very idea of presenting a dictionary definition of feminism as somehow defining what feminism is, that in and of itself is ridiculous. Because these, first of all, these are the same people who will decry the dictionary as, you know, it's been written by white men. It's, you know, it's part of patriarchy, right? When you say that actually you can be racist to, to white people, according to the dictionary, then, ah, we got to throw that all out, right? And a dictionary is a descriptive document, right? Inherently, it's not a prescriptive document. They, they don't sit down and write the dictionary and tell you what the English language means. A dictionary finds out what what a word means and and notes it and compiles it. So the very idea that I'm expected to get my definition of feminism from the dictionary is ridiculous. And you know, I think that I think that as you said, to boil down feminism to what it fundamentally means. You, I completely agree with you that you cannot be a Catholic and a feminist, you know, as a feminist, as feminism is actually defined. And it's really interesting to me to see how feminists will try to manipulate people into accepting that there is this, um, you know, this totally benign other feminism than what I'm against. You know, if I tell people I'm an anti-feminist, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just against radical feminism. I'm just against this. And radical feminism, meaning the, um, the, the second, the specific second wave kind of group of feminist thought, um, which I, if you hope you have some quotes from some great uh, radical feminists like Andrea Dworkin and those sorts of people. I'm not even talking, I'm talking about that in this context. Cause you have to, even in my article, I'm like, how do I say radical feminists versus radical, radical feminists. Um, but in any case, they, they try and present it as though there are all these different beliefs that feminists have and that if you really understood what feminism means, you'd believe in it. And I say, you know, fine, I'm not against all feminism. I'm against any feminism that meets two conditions. Any feminism that teaches that men, women were oppressed by men, both historically and or today, and that society was set up to benefit men at the expense of women historically or today. If your feminism meets that definition, I'm against it. And there is no feminist thought that doesn't hold to that criteria. You can find different excesses in different areas. You can find feminists who are, you know, pro-sex, anti-sex, pro-sex work, anti-sex work, you know, um, pro-marriage, you know, pro-exclusive lesbianism. But you're not going to find any, any strain of feminist thought that denies those two things. So I don't think that those positions can be held by a Catholic. I mean, just, just think about it for a second. This idea that all of human history, women were universally oppressed by men as a group. It, it's ridiculous. Well, it's completely show, ridiculous really on its face. They'll even argue like the passages in Paul that really bother feminists. Oh, yeah. Paul was a sexist. And if that's true, and that, if Paul, and that Paul was a product of his time, if that's true, what happens to biblical inerrancy? The whole thing goes out the window. It falls like a house of cards. If Paul is just a product of his time, the reason that Jesus didn't have any, you know, female, you know, apostles, apostles. because he was a product of his time. What happens to biblical inerrancy? What happens to the Catholic Church? What happens to our faith? Well, it, yeah, flames. it denies an incarnational reality of gender. And I mean, you know, you, you say, you know, Genesis that created man and female. And that's true. And but you also have to look at the, the incarnation of our Lord. Right. You know, Jesus was a man. <laughs> he wasn't a you know, as a spirit being floating around. He was a man. He was a human man. And his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, was a human woman. And right? he referred so, to his father. Yes, of his course. androgynous parent, but his father. <laughs> yeah, spirit guy. Yeah, that, that's another one I find uh, is, is, very, is very troublesome. As soon as, you, as soon as you take apart the reality of gender, I think that a lot of people really have not thought enough about what, um, you know, what implications this, this has. For, for our faith, right? When you, when you really accept this false idea of, you know, as you say, smashing hierarchy, because it's about a lot more than just, you know, you can look at feminism and you can look at some of their, you know, 
more specific goals, right? Like, oh, we have to have abortion. We have to have this. We have to have that. We have to have equal pay, even though, you know, women and men have been legally required to be paid the same for a very long time. It's 1963. Exactly. And even, and even before that, I mean, it's like this idea that this was this rampant problem, it, it completely defies basic economic sense that, you know, that, you know, on mass, the entire world was just paying women less for being women. It, it doesn't, it, there's but not it, a, there's revisionist not history. There's not a serious economist in the Western world. Whatever I think of the profession of professional economists more broadly, <laughs> there's not a single professional economist in the world who seriously, not, I mean, we're talking about serious economists who seriously believe that women are paid 77 cents on the dollar for doing the same work. It's just, it's not a statistical fact. In fact, it's actually the opposite. There's a study that I think, I, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I, it's something like 141 of the 145 large and urban, largest urban metropolitan areas in the United States. Young, single, unmarried women out-earn their, their male mm-hmm. counterparts by like 8%. It's just a myth. What, what, exi- what creates the chasm that does exist when you compare, you know, just the- All men and all women and how much they all, get paid. All, women, all men, all women and all men, they do, they do different work. They choose voluntarily to go into different professions. Um, women are more likely to leave the workforce for different reasons. And especially all, children. Especially children, which is a good thing. We yes, don't, we don't God bless them. This is the myth. <laughs> and it's a really bizarre- unity between you know the wall street journal editorial board chamber of commerce you know business republican conservative type and the feminists is like the feminists like agree yeah we just all exist to serve global capitalism (laughs) and like leave our children with some like third world importee who doesn't speak our language and raises our children on our behalf while we go serve as a social media manager for some stupid company that couldn't care if we lived or died. It's like, these companies don't care about you. They, they're not going to save your soul. They're not going to rear your children. What are, you, what are you forfeiting exactly by staying home? Even if it means that it, it lowers your wage expectations. The left always used to say to there's, that there's more to life than the amount that you earn on your paycheck, but all of the sudden, Feminists have become really uh, concerned with the uh, sort of economic earning potential of of mothers who have to abandon their their children to these ratty old daycare centers. Also, that also that um, they can achieve some weird ethereal sense of equality, proving what to whom exactly. While there are actual flesh and blood children who aren't being raised by their actual flesh and blood mothers because women are told that they're tools of the patriarchy if they deign to stay home with the children that they birthed. It's a, it's a, total, it's a total lunacy. And I, I, I really struggle with this because I, I realize that everybody's life situation is different and I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush. Some people do need to earn a living. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people who out of economic necessity need to provide for their family. That's different. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who they're financially secure enough that they don't need to be going to work and, and they, they don't need to be you know earning two incomes or at least, and, and the, the, the word need has a very precise definition <laughs> right? Because of course, everybody could always use more money. We could always use a little bit more room from paycheck to paycheck. But, but there comes a point at which life intervenes and reality intervenes and you have to make an actual decision that betrays what you value in this world. Do you value your children or do you value being uh, the HR manager and breaking up petty complaints 
at some global corporation. I mean, it, th there's a value judgment there. And, and your actions betray what your values and priorities are. That's all I'm saying in that regard. Absolutely true. And, you know, another point as well is that, you know, you note, um, you know, an HR manager or a social media manager, and that's, that's true. I think a lot of women of, of my age group, especially, that's kind of, you know, oh, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be home with my children. I could be going and writing for BuzzFeed or whatever. But on the other hand, it's, it's also interesting. calling people I've never met Nazis and ruining their career. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? Why not? Who wouldn't want to? But, you know, even, even more than that, though, when, when you actually look at the numbers for the kind of work that women by and large do, most women uh, end up working to raise other people's children or uh, assist other people's husbands. And I know feminists hate when I say that, but I've actually, I've actually read some interesting things breaking down the numbers of the kind of jobs women do. And, and most women work in jobs that have something to do with um, caring in some way or in assisting in some way. And it's like, so let me get this straight. I am oppressed when I, you know, would, if I, if I were married, you know, if I would be oppressed to take care of my own children and my own husband. Yet I'm empowered when I go work as some guy's secretary or go and work in a daycare. Like that to me, the very idea of women putting their kids in daycare to work in daycare is just like, why, why are you doing this? And I mean, I think daycare is generally not, um, not a good thing. I'll probably make people mad with that. But I also, you know, as you say, to necessity, I an economic reality at play that I don't want to, of course, really casually toss aside. It's very difficult for a lot of people in our modern economy to make ends meet. <laughs> and I'm not casting judgments or aspersions on people who, who do what they have to do to provide for their children and their family. That's not what I'm well, Another thing too is it just an important note for me that anybody that doesn't you know kind of know my situation is I am somebody who is you know divorced and I'm a single mom, and I have had to I have been able to thankfully due to help from my family and other things and my ability to to work from home writing and things like that I have been able to be home with my son up until now and he's three and that is a a huge blessing but it also it also comes with sacrifice and I think that. I think that we should be mature enough to be able to say, this is not the ideal situation for my child. You know, so I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel bad when people say that, you know, a child of a single mother it, you know, has these statistical odds against them or that, you know, it's, it would be better for me. To, I mean, this, this coming year, I'm probably, I mean, presumably going to have to send him to public school in the day because I, I cannot work enough to um, work on getting us out of this financial situation while he is home with me all day. So, you know, I, these are things that I understand are realities. I understand this very well. Um, and I also, I'm, I think in a lot of ways, a, you know, I'm a victim of the feminist culture we're in, right. That says that, Oh, just, you know, go have sex outside of marriage, go, go do this, go do that. Nothing's going to happen. And then when you, when you turn your life around and you see, you see this, what your sins have caused, it's hard. It's hard for me to think of my, my little boy who I would do anything for and that his life is more difficult because, you know, I, and even well, even well being a non-feminist and an anti-feminist still, you know, drank the Kool-Aid of sex outside of marriage and, you know, birth control and divorce. So I think that, you know, so I do, I do have sympathy. I, I don't want to just say that, you know, oh, well, women who work in daycares are bad people or anything like that. I, I don't think that's the case. But I also think, as you said, when we're talking about our values, part of the reason that nobody can make ends meet on one income is because nobody has one income. <laughs> you know, we've, we've flooded the job market with a lot of people. And I know that the, the capitalists will be mad at this, but, you know, that, that does pose a problem when you all of a sudden expect each, each family unit to have two people working 
at least, you know, and often it's two people working full time. That does impact wages, right? And the idea that we, we can't see that is because, of course, oh, it's, it's growth and all this. I'm like, well, but, you know, who loses out on that, right? I would, you know, I would basically... You know, I think at this point, if I were if I were to get married, you know, I have an annulment. Obviously, guys don't <laughs> would never get remarried if I was actually had been married in the first place. Um, but you know, if I were to get married in the future, I would I would give up a lot to be able to be home and preferably homeschool my son because it's worth it. No, it absolutely so need. And it's it's so funny. Elizabeth Warren, about twenty years ago, wrote a book called The Two Income Trap. And I've yet to read it, but I, I have a basic sense of what it's about. And if she ran on that today, it's rather interesting. But I mean, it essentially talks about what you're saying, that as men and women are both forced to enter the workforce, who loses? It's the children. And any economic system, as far as I'm concerned, that forces um, women, particularly women who don't want to, okay, this is the difference, women who you know, for whatever reason, didn't have children, that's one thing. But a woman who wants to stay at home and raise her children, who's forced to do so, like you, you know, or, or people in your situation who are forced to work outside of the home and then import some illegal alien to take care of their child, it, it's a tragedy. And any economic system that forces that or incentivizes that, and it's more than just an economic system, right? Because we, we're also subject to social pressures. Mm-hmm. Social know, stuff. Social stuff saying, you know, Oh, you're not a real woman unless you went to the workforce, whatever, whatever, all that stuff. Um, all of that being what it is, I think that any economic system that forces that isn't worth supporting. Okay. And, and capitalism does a lot of great things. It, it produces, uh, um, you know, wonderful products for us at cheap prices. And, and it's more than that too. I mean, it's, it's an ethical, largely, you know, when properly understood, the you know voluntary transactions between consenting parties is a morally preferable way to arrange society than putting guns to people's heads and forcing them to do so but not me be not being a libertarian you not being a libertarian either you realize that there are excesses to voluntarism okay and realize that not everything which is voluntary or consensual is desirable Okay, prostitution might be consensual and voluntary, but it might not be. And I, of course, both of us still wrong. Wouldn't be be desirable. (laughs) Consent is not the highest value. There are values far higher than consent, and you know, human dignity, um, the the right, as far as I'm concerned, of a child to be reared by by his parents and to have a you know intimate connection with his mother, particularly in the first few years of his or her life, is such a crucial thing that. Any economic system that forces, you know, a mother, or you know, in what if it if the case provides it, a father, whatever, to have to leave their child at home with an illegal alien from the third world who doesn't speak their language, I think it's a tragedy that that I can't support, you can't support, any good Catholic, as far as I'm concerned, can't support. So, if if you know, obviously, if if Elizabeth Warren said what she said in that book today she would be run out of town on the first train, right? But Have her face ripped off. She'd literally have her face ripped off, right? Because uh, she said the unspeakable, which is children deserve to have a parent in the home. She probably in the book, I mean, again, I don't want to comment on a book I haven't read, but I I know the premise essentially, which is what you said, that I'm sure she doesn't say, oh, the real problem is that women aren't at home. She probably just, you know, androgynous. Yeah, uh, a parent, you know. At home, right? But but um, 
again, I, I don't even want to imply by all of this that I'm saying I think women should be sort of like legally bound to the home. That's not what I'm arguing for. I'm well, arguing. no, and that's not something that I think Catholics would generally argue for because women have, all, you know, women have doing also there's a difference between women working and women having a role in the workforce that men have, right? I think that, you know, to me, the fact that I have the privilege of, you know, getting paid a little bit of money to write articles and, and do the kind of things I do is a far cry from me, you know, me saying I'm going to go and, you know, work at Walmart 10 hours a week so I can feel like a productive member of society, you know, for no other reason than that, right? And to spend as much in daycare that I would make doing it. I think that there's a difference there. Same with things, other things that women have, have always done. There are plenty of ways that women can make extra money. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's a problem, especially when it doesn't conflict with, but I, I do, I do completely believe that the, you know, the church has always taught that the primary role is to be a wife and a mother to your children. And I think that the fact we, we are seeing the fruit of that being completely torn aside in our secular society and within the church. Right. And you know, just one more point on, on the, the church aspect of this. So I do want to hear some great quotes. I've probably heard most of them, but um, hopefully some people will be pleasantly surprised by what these lovely ladies think. But I just, I just wanted to um, read a quote from um, John Paul II's uh, 1995 encyclical, encyclical Evangelium Vitae. In transforming culture so that it supports life, women occupy a place in thought and action, which is unique and decisive. It depends on them to promote a new feminism, which rejects the temptation of imitating models of male domination in order to acknowledge and affirm the true genius of women in every aspect of the life of society and overcome all discrimination, violence, and exploitation. Um, and, you know, for me, reading things like that, it's just, you know, as I said in the, to the start, he's, he's basically kind of, I, I prefer that he used the term new feminism as opposed to you know the the more you know, terms i refuse to use like real feminism or true feminism when people say oh stephanie look you're a you're a real feminist because you actually you know speak your mind and speak the truth and all this and i'm like i know they mean it as a compliment but you know it's not so it's not a term i would use right because i i'm not i'm please never let me be a real feminist um but so he's he tries to say a new feminism but you know as we said at the beginning of the show do these core principles actually align with catholic teaching and I'm not going to say, and I'm not saying that um, anything about John Paul II specifically. I'm, I'm not sure how much he knows of, uh, you know, the history of feminist thought or anything of the sort. I think he's just saying a new feminism, which, you know, with, with some, some praiseworthy goals of, you know, uh, elevating the dignity of women, womanhood and motherhood. Those are, those are good things that I agree with. But, you know, to me, it's just, you know, if that's true, if feminism at its root is not something we can support as Catholics, you know, would we be, my example in the article, you know, would be to say, would it be acceptable or prudent for a pope to say that we must create a new Freemasonry? Of course not, because Freemasonry is at, it, is at its root evil and opposed to Catholic teaching. And so why do we do that? And baptizing these things, you know, or attempting to baptize these things, it, it does not serve the purpose that I'm sure people like John Paul II, you know, hopefully think that it would. I think it serves the opposite purpose. It, it, it grants this, this idea that, because if you say, you know, we can kind of re revitalize feminism or whatever, or bring new life into it or baptize it in Catholic teaching or what have you, it, it completely gives, gives credence to their rewriting of history, which is a thing that I really, really get frustrated with when it comes to this topic, because I'm just astounded that even people who see the problem with feminism today still, you know, they they still accept the feminist version of history, right? They say, oh, I'm against the third wave. The first wave is okay. It's like, why do you think that? W on what ground do you think that first wave feminism was good? And often it just comes down to, you know, a lot of historical falsehoods about, you know, things like, you know, women's suffrage, which it can be a whole other, <laughs> whole other controversial topic I'll get in trouble on. Um, yes, you will get in trouble for that. I <laughs> certainly get in trouble for that. Oh, well. 
That's what I do. Never stopped you before. So nope. <laughs> um, the it's it's funny. If you want to know what somebody thinks, you ask them what they believe. This is what feminists believe. Here are some uh, <laughs> quotes from, th- these are not, you know, from Joy Behar on The View. These are from the leading feminist intellectuals. Um, Gloria, uh, Gloria Steinem described oh. marriage as, quote, an arrangement for one and a half people, end quote. Andrea Dworkin describes, or wrote this rather, quote, how can anyone love someone who is less than a full person unless love itself is domination per se? Kate Millett said, quote, so long as every female simply by virtue of her anatomy is obliged, even forced to be the sole or primary caretaker of childhood, she is prevented from being a free human being, end quote. Betty Freeman, free Dan, said, yeah. quote, women who adjust as housewives, who grow up wanting to be just a housewife, are in as much danger as the millions who walk to their own death in the concentration camps. They are <laughs> suffering a slow death of mind and spirit. This is what they think of. <laughs> this is what they it's think hilarious. of stay-at-home mothers. But they'll say, "Oh, you know." Anyway, go on. Go, no, it's important. To give go me on. more. Yeah. There's more. There's so much more. <laughs> Linda Gordon says, "Quote: The nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is an objectively revolutionary process." End quote. Robin Morgan says, "We cannot destroy the inequities between men and women until we destroy marriage." Mary Jo Bain, this is one of my favorites in a sort of cynical and sadistic way, said, quote, in order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from families and communally raise them, end quote. Vivian Gornick says, quote, being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. The choice to serve and be protected and plan towards being a family maker is a choice that shouldn't be. The heart of radical feminism is to change that, end quote. And finally, perhaps the worst of them all, Helen Selinger said, quote, we must work to destroy marriage. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. All of history must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women, end quote. That's like <laughs> thought this was subtext. Here it is. Here it is. Exactly. I'm not just saying this. They they admit this, right? Because I mean, it's it, there's also it, it explains a lot about feminism's uh, close ties, to say the least, with uh, communism and the LGBT movement and all of this, right? Because it is about QPIIA. Exactly. Z A. You know, it's it's all about destroying. It's about destroying hierarchy, and they admit that they. You know, you see that this feminist I'm not familiar with admitting to, you know, rewriting history. But the thing that's interesting to me is is to kind of is to is to watch this happen, right? Because I think that a lot of people, you know, a lot of your average people on Twitter and Facebook who call themselves feminists have never read any of this stuff. And they have very little real understanding of the development of feminist thought. Um, so they kind of I don't know, it's it's just interesting to watch how there doesn't even need to be this grand conspiracy, right? Necessarily. It, all you have to do is convince people that the feminist version of history is true and the rest kind of the rest kind of works itself out at least at least it that seems to be the case right because if you ask people if they're feminists 
most people just kind of, you know, they kind of just go with, they, in their minds, they think, well, I don't like, you know, how they want abortion to be legal for nine months. Most people do think that. Most people think that's wrong, of course, despite what the, you know, mainstream Democrat party will tell you. Uh, most people do think that's evil and wrong, even people who support abortion in other contexts. Um, you know, these people will, will see that and they'll, they'll see the excess and they'll see that it's wrong, but they are so socially conditioned right through their entire education, you know, which has been completely overrun with them, is not to mention people who make it into kind of academia where it's even worse. They've been completely conditioned to believe the, the core assumptions of feminism that, that rest on such shaky foundations. It's unbelievable. I mean, look at you know, it's just, to me, these, these, it's the most, in a way, it's the most genuinely misogynistic ideology I can think of, right? Because what, what feminism is saying, when, when you say that, you know, history, our history as human beings consists of a, a class that is oppressed by another class, what you're really saying when it comes to men and women is that women who, you know, women who forged nations, who, you know, raised families, who built homesteads in the United States, who did, did so many things, people who survived, people who survived wars, people who, you know, spread the Catholic faith, all the, all the great things of human history that women did contribute to. All those women were just weak and stupid. And what we really needed was, I don't know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton to, to stand up for women. Like, do you really believe that if you think about it for more than five seconds, you really think that the actual strong women, actual strong women who raised families and built Western civilization in, in a very real way, in, in probably the most important way, those women were not strong enough to rise above their male oppressors. The, the women who are strong enough are the, the editors of BuzzFeed. Right. History began the day that Susan from, <laughs> from New York Join exactly. The just, I mean, it's ridiculous. It just makes me mad. It, it makes me angry, but it, it makes me angry because, you know, if you think about it, right, as soon as you think about it, you're like, oh, of course, that, that's an absurd presupposition. And yet, and yet the average person in the back of their mind, all they think, oh, well, women didn't vote or women couldn't own property. And, you know, there, you know, was instances of domestic violence not being taken seriously and, you know, these sorts of different things, or women didn't do the same jobs as men. That's all they see. Because people have no sense of history and their, 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 you know, collective memory is, you know, about 50 years old, right? And it's like they never stop to think, why? Why was that the case? Why didn't women do these same jobs as men? And, and I think that also feminists have completely ignored I, I, I My kind of theory, too, is, sorry, this is a long run. I have so, <laughs> so much to say on this topic. It's unbelievable because it's just one of my things that drives me the most crazy. But, you know, people will tell me, well, you should be thankful for feminism or you couldn't be on, on the internet doing a podcast talking about feminism. What feminism got you the vote? Women got your freedom, yada, yada. And I say, you know, <laughs> I don't think so. I actually think that probably, unfortunately, all of this, this supposed freedom that I now have uh, would have happened without a feminist movement. I don't think that the feminist movement had as much to, of a role to play as feminists want to think it did. I think that um, the role of technological advancement uh, had a far higher role to play because for much of human history, women and men's roles were different because there wasn't a way to do things differently. Women and men had roles in their lives for a reason, and we can see this in our very biology, right? This, <laughs> it's very obvious, right? I mean, think, think of isolated examples, right? Think of somebody, you know, living living in a village and had to, you know, go to the next town to sell their wares or whatever. If a woman did that, she could be robbed and murdered by marauders. 
right? Like it makes perfect sense if you think for more than 10 seconds. But again, everyone is presupposing that, you know, life 500 years ago was exactly the same as it is now with, you know, police and fire departments and, you know, safe public transportation and clean streets. That isn't what history's like. You know, there, there are things that were dangerous for people, genuinely dangerous for women. And women wouldn't have wanted to do these things unless they had to out of necessity, which some women did. And that wasn't because they, they wanted to be there. You know, this, it's, this point to me is just constantly true that why is it that the only time that women wanted to trade roles with men, the only time this has happened in human history en masse is when trading roles with men in some cases was trading up. And we still see it now. We don't, they don't want to trade with men and, you know, um, pick up garbage. They don't want to trade with men and work in dumps and on oil rigs and in mines and all these other horrible work men do, you know, climb, climb, you know, repair telephone wires. No, they want to trade places with men who are CEOs and lawyers. Yeah, it's true. And that's all very well taken. I think a good point, all, all good points, I should say. Thank you. Um, you <laughs> Rant know. over for five minutes, I swear. <laughs> That last line from Helen Selinger about all of history must be rewritten in terms <laughs> mm-hmm. of the oppression of women. This is something you. very big with feminists. Is, and this is with the left more broadly, with deconstructionists more broadly, are these various hermeneutics, but not the hermeneutics that we would apply to scripture or to canonical documents or anything like that. But a hermeneutic or a lens, this is something I heard frequently as an undergrad. Let's take a look at this through the lens of women's liberation or through the lens of racism or all these different lenses. And it actually all stems from something that I think it emerged in the 1980s, but it's, it's embedded in the very philosophy of feminism itself called standpoint theory. Standpoint theory says that people's actual knowledge are, is a direct result of their life experience. It's, it's really when you pin it down, it's really just a subjectivist philosophy but this is why women say, you know, no uterus, no opinion about abortion, for instance. As if, as if having a certain set of reproductive organs entitles one to, to exempt themselves from the basic moral scrutiny that any, anybody else in the society has when they do something as grave as take another human life. But because they magically, because they have this set of, of you know, biological features, they're in, they're uniquely entitled to be exempt from that moral scrutiny. It's, it's the height of privilege as far as I'm concerned. It's the one privilege in America that, that um, at, least as I'm, at least as far as I'm concerned, it is a bona fide issue. The idea that somehow uh, having a uterus or, or having a certain standpoint. I mean, this is the thing too in college. They'll say, well, as a white man or as a, uh, a black queer lesbian, you know, um, who is into BDSM and all, the, all of these various like, you, you know, you got it down to, to the point where you're no longer, it's just an absurdity at some point. At some point you run out of immutable characteristics upon which to define yourself. But this is what it is. The standpoint theory is that there really is no objective truth. I mean, when you get down to the base of it, there's no objective truth, but only our positions and our, and our, our subjective viewpoints of things. And truth is created by a consensus of people directing their lived experience and sort of democratizing the truth, right? This is why feminists want to get their hands on power so bad is because 
if you're in the majority, you can dictate what the truth is because they don't believe there's a truth. They believe it's all relative and they believe the only reason that society has existed the way it, is, the way it has and the only reason we have these moral norms are not because of the natural law, are not because of the creation of our Heavenly Father, are not because of any of the things that we've traditionally understood. No, it's because a bunch of angry, crotchety, old men got together and have had a sort of hegemonic hold on power, hegemonic hold on power for centuries. That's what it is. It has nothing to do, I mean, things like the natural affection between men and women, the complementarity of the sexes, the things that make life worth living. Those are just incidental features that exist because of, because of this oppression. It's the same way that, you know, um, and, and the other thing that's totally rich too is the way that feminists compare themselves to African slaves. This, I mean, this is the thing that, that shocks me is that folks in the African-American community in the United States can go along with this where it's like, yeah, you were oppressed too. It's like, hang on a second. Were you brought over in boats against your will and forced to, to do servile labor under, under oppressive, you know, um, sharecroppers? It's absurd. The whole thing is absurd. And, and the fact that the African-American community, which in the United States has been uniquely oppressed as far as I'm concerned, I mean, all of these other groups, all of these other intersectional groups that claim the same victimhood as black Americans, black America should be absolutely revolted and disgusted by the fact that these people who have had relatively no oppression to overcome are latching themselves into the verbiage and language of the civil rights movement. That It's, it's absurd. So what's the point? The point is... These people don't believe in objective truth, and we have to talk to them as such. And if you want to know what they believe, judge them by their fruits. Don't, don't take you know, some random person on Twitter who says, oh, well, I'm a feminist and I'm a Catholic. It's like, no, we need, no. We need to get down to what do feminists actually believe? Can you be a feminist and be a Catholic? If not, why not? And you know, today I put before you two options, and you choose uh, you know, once and for all who, you, who, you shall, who ye shall be, right? Um, you, I, I put before you the words of life and death and you've got to make a choice. You cannot be both. If you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over. Either you're a Catholic and you believe what the church says about the relationship between masculinity and femininity and the fact that God created man and God created woman from man and the complementarity of the sexes and the unique roles that men and women have in the divine life of our Lord Jesus Christ. You either believe those things or you don't. But you can't be both and you've got to stop pretending that you can be both because that's the truth. If you're, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit ye out of my mouth. I would, rather, I would rather thee be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. And that's, that's, that's the thing, is that these feminist theologians, which is a total oxymoron Ugh. as far as I'm concerned, who, who take these rationalist presuppositions about the world, these narratives, these, these, this standpoint theory, and apply it to the biblical revelation, the revelation of our Lord, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, as if the, the grandeur of our Lord, of, of, of the one true God becoming flesh, becoming in flesh, taking on human flesh, living a human life, dying on a cross, and, and, and rising from the dead, as if all of that can be reduced to some androgynous feminist who, you know, wears really high jeans and, and, and as if she has some sort of special hold 
on that divine message. It's insulting. And Catholics ought to treat it as such. It's a hostile statement as far as I'm concerned. I agree. You know, I'm reading this. I'm reading this wonderful book uh, right now. Wonderful is in a terrifying book. I mean, I knew I knew a lot of a lot of stuff about the um, feminist movement generally, but it's really interesting to look at this um, examination of the church. I actually meant to bring it in here and show you guys. It's called Ungodly Rage. Um, I think it's something. I forget the, the subtitle. Something something. Um, Catholic Feminism by uh, Donna Steichen. Um, and I would highly recommend getting your hands on it if you can. I've tore through more than half of it in like two days. But, you know, basically just going over the way that these supposedly, you know, feminist theologians have aligned themselves with um, all, all stripes of feminists and feminist goddess worship and witchcraft and new age to, to really infiltrate the church. And I think it's, it's interesting to see as well why this is so accepted in the church. I think it, it it largely is because so many of these people have taken on positions of power in especially the Catholic education system, um, you know, in, within different dioceses and different parishes. And it's, it's actually scary when you look at the sorts of things people are, are saying. And it's, it, it's, what you said just reminded me of that, that, you know, that the idea that we can set aside divine revelation as it is and only basically end up worshiping ourselves, right? Because, because we exactly know better. It it's That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also tied to, I would say it's, it's like most things it can be, you know, included within modernism, right? Because it comes down to this idea, you know, the term uh, vital imminence that Pius X yeah. used that, that every, you know, that, that truth is not something that exists outside of ourselves that we are to conform ourselves to, but instead it is something that kind of, um, you know, comes within us either collectively or individually. And, you know, we can kind of shape, shape what the truth is on that right you know the, the scriptures were just oh they came together through the church and it you know which you know in a way it did but it was divine yeah divine revelation exactly that we could just recontextualize the truth constantly yes. and it's it's funny and this is this is the way that i think that this is why i think feminism is very satanic ideology and this is the way that satan often works because on the one hand you know if you if you're listening to this you can probably hear this slight contradiction here on the one hand we're saying that you know feminism in a lot of ways they they defy the idea of objective truth and reality but on the other hand you know as i said there is actually there are actual some actually some feminist orthodoxies that you can point to you know those conditions that i raised the idea that women are oppressed by men and that society itself is set up to benefit men at the expense of women you know they they do believe these things but i think that with with a lot of with a lot of these things when you look at it theologically and in terms of you know the supernatural world as well as just the material world you can see that the that is not that cannot possibly logically be the end goal the end goal is the destruction of hierarchy itself right because eventually they you know eventually the i mean I, no feminist could actually elucidate how or when this would occur and most have never thought about it but even if they were to achieve this state where women are no longer oppressed by men to their you know exacting specifications of what constitutes true equality what have you then there would simply there would simply be something else right because men and women would cease to exist and the entire basis of feminism would just morph into some other way of you know crushing the hierarchy and that is what satan does that is what demons do they destroy order you know jesus christ the word of god the logos order not chaos and this these people are agents of chaos and catholic as you say we, we need to take this seriously and i guess just in terms of practicality this is why i just really just i want people to stop calling themselves real feminists true feminists i want people to stop you know feminists for pro-life whatever no you're not, like this isn't feminism like this is not feminism a lot and i'm sure there are some people who you know would at least consider that and again, a lot of people do, I, I would argue out of ignorance, think that women were historically oppressed by men. And I'm, I'm not trying to, 
you know, judge every individual's kind of personal level of culpability for calling himself a feminist or saying that, you know, if you have, you know, if you're a pro-life feminist, I'm not just bashing you as an individual, but I think in terms of, you know, if you are on the side of Jesus Christ, I think we really need to be honest and examine these things for what they are. And as you said, because of that fact, because there are so many different ways that people look at this, so many people who don't even know anything about feminism proclaiming the label, so many people who don't believe in truth at all, you need to be able to you know, fearlessly kind of pin people to their positions. What are they? Does truth exist? And, and not to be afraid. To, you don't have to do it in a hostile way. You can do it in a very loving way. But we, we need to be unafraid to say that. And for me, you know, this is why I have, I have called myself an anti-feminist since I was about 19 years old. And it's the term I will continue to use because I am not just a non-feminist. I am hostile to feminism. I think feminism has, has caused unimaginable evil in our society, chiefly uh, abortion. I think that Though, well, I, I do agree that abortion may have, you know, come about on its own in some way without you feminism, you can't but you can't separate them. Yeah. Exactly. So even if, you know, even if some other factors would have happened, as I said, with, um, you know, without an organized movement, I still think that the, the way that society changed, I think there were a lot of people in their personal selfishness as women who wanted to trade up with men and that who knows what might have happened. But in any case, you can't separate feminism from abortion. And it is certainly true that they are pressing further and further today and they need to be fought and they need to be opposed. And I think that we really need to just get comfortable with saying, you know, when things are bad, we need to just be able to say, look, this is evil. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm saying no to feminism and I mean it and I don't care. And you can call me sexist or whatever. I, it doesn't matter to me because I am going to, I'm going to be an anti-feminist. And I, I also think, you know, it's really important to be able to educate yourself as to why you oppose things. You know, people ask you questions. Well, what about the vote? What about this? Have answers for them because they're out there. And shockingly, uh, the, the truth is on the side of the Holy Catholic Church. The, and this is a point I personally want to close with. Um, and we can get any thoughts that, that you have uh, also before we sign off. But I just wanted to say um, that I think it's crucial, as we were saying, to understand that you cannot separate abortion from feminism. The two are, um, what are you, a cat mom? Is that yeah, I'm a cat mom. You know, there's actually so feminist. This, this is a funny point. This is Baxter. He's great. He's named after the dog that kicked off the bridge in Anchorman. There's a direct, Anyways. There are, rather, there's an inverse relationship between the amount people care about animals and the amount that they care about unborn children, I found. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, on animals, that. Animals are a remarkably poor substitute for living human beings. Um, so ladies, if you're blogging at Huffington Post and you have a dog and you think that's a child, it's not a child. Have a child. Okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Endorsed. <laughs> and I have a child. Endorsed. Uh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, the, no, but the point is you can't separate abortion from feminism and here's no. why. The goal of feminism is, is to create an androgynous society. It's to make women men. That's what the goal is. You just heard those quotes. That's what the goal is. The end game is to make women men and to obliterate the differences, the real and, and instantiated differences that exist between men and women. And it's not just about reforming uh, the social milieu in which women are raised and, and young girls, I suppose, are raised, though that's, of course, part of the larger project. What it is at root is, is erasing the biological differences between men and women. And how do you do that other than to make women as autonomous over their quote unquote reproductive decisions as men mm -hmm. are because men can't be pregnant. And the only way to level that playing field is to allow women to kill their children. That's Amen. the only way that that playing field gets leveled. You cannot separate the two. Either you're not a real feminist or you aren't 
where you're in favor of abortion, but it, you can't be. Oh yeah. You know what Agreed. I mean? There's, there's no middle ground there. And the, and two, you, you can be either one or the other, but you can't be both. And, um, and that's the point. The point is we need to reject all of these isms, all of these rationalist ideologies that have cropped up libertarianism, liberalism, conservatism, fascism, all of these, you know, all of the litany of rationalist ideologies that try to reduce the substrata or reduce the knowable world into various ideologies. We have to reject them on their face, realize that the only truth is to be found in the Roman Catholic Church. The only truth is to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ and to live as such and to stop trying to find substitutes for the truth that our Lord reveals, because that's what feminism is. Feminism is, is treated as a supplement to when you when you talk to catholic mm-hmm. feminists whatever that means you you, there, you get the sense that feminism is a is a supplement our lord and his church needs no supplement you need nothing else other than our lord and the church that he founded as far as i'm concerned no i agree and of course you know the the blessed virgin mary uh women should seek to emulate her i think men should as well but i think that you know i, I find in her such you know consolation and comfort in my role as a mother and and I think that that's such a beautiful thing, right? And this is this idea that, and I just, I could say it again and again, the most, you know, the greatest created being is the Blessed Virgin Mary, is a woman. And a woman who was a woman who, you know, had a child and, you know, submitted to her husband, even being the queen of heaven and all these things, right? All these things the church teaches. And, you know, another point too, people who, it, I feel like there's people having it just last, last point, people have an attachment, right? To the, the term feminist, especially people who have certain interests in certain women's rights issues, right? And I'll, I'll see that from people. They'll say, oh, well, I call myself because I want to protect um, unborn women from sex, sex selective abortion or, um, you know, I work for, you know, against domestic violence or any of these other things. And it's like, you know, like you said, we need to pick a side and you do not need to call yourself a feminist to, to do things or to care, to care about women. You, you really don't. And all, and unfortunately, all you're doing is helping the enemy. Uh, the, so, yeah. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate your viewership and your listenership. All of that you. is very important to us. And we, we feel very blessed that, you know, even as the, the relatively small group that we have, but we have a, a so far. group of followers who, um, who appreciate our work and we appreciate you more than, more than words can say. So we appreciate you know, all of that. Uh, we, we might be having a formatting change that's upcoming soon. Uh, more Exciting stuff. Good things. More details to come, all good things. Um, and we will keep you abreast of those updates as, as we get them. Um, links below. We, again, we're on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. We, uh, we, we have a Patreon. We haven't, because of weird tax, <laughs> we never it, use weird tax <laughs> issues, I'm hesitant to put it out there because, you know, if I di- if I divert half of the money to Steph, which of course I would want to do, it creates a whole series of tax things that I I'm not savvy or smart enough to deal with. So I, I want to hesitate. Or I'm going to hesitate. We'll figure that out. Yeah, we, we, have, <laughs> we have two patrons though. I don't remember who they are, but I thank you very much, whoever you are. Um, we have two. Oh wow, that's yeah, so great! So thank you. Love it. Um, yeah, and just um, my last note too. Please, you know, if this episode, please, you know, please, if you would, if you would take the time at some point to, you know, pray for an end to abortion. 
Yes. Because I think that, that prayer is something we, we really need to do. And this, this episode has really called that to mind. And, you know, and also pray for, pray for the women who are trapped in this toxic ideology, wasting their, you know, young years when they could be, you know, starting families on, you know, wanting to be the top lawyer at their law firm. Um, and, and that they will turn from that before they end up with a, a later life of regret. Like so many, you know, so many women I could point to, uh, probably feminists on your list that ended up deeply regretting. I think Gloria Steinem might have regretted not having children. I can't remember exactly who it was, but this, this happened. So, you know, to have, you know, you can hate this ideology and we should, but have, you know, compassion for those who are in this world we're in. And, you know, like I said, I even fell victim to it in a lot of ways because it's, it's, it's everywhere. Our culture is very, even people who don't call themselves feminists think in a very feminist way. We should have, um, you know, prayer and love for those people that they will, you know, turn to the truth. Hate hate the sin, love the sinner, right? Yes. That's what it's all about. And um, none of this is about, you know, me, certainly, me certainly or or you or anybody. white male right well no <laughs> how but, dare you but suggesting that there's any sort of moral superiority it's just telling the truth as as i see of course. It, as the church sees it that's what this is all about this is not mm-hmm. about individuals or me or you or anybody it's no we don't have vital eminence there. <laughs> no it's divine revelation ghost. here it's the holy ghost as best we can be vessels and i'm trying to refine myself to be a better vessel for for the holy ghost and i know you are too amen so we're doing all of this in humility um, or trying. We're trying to betray that. We're trying to do it in humility. Um, and we, we really thank you for, for tuning in. This has been Unapologetics. We will catch you next week.